Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, according to the time and place you listen to us at this moment. My name is Armando Conte, and you are listening to the series Governance in Africa, Conversations from the Center of African Studies at the School of Oriental and African Studies, part of the University of London in the United Kingdom. This program is a part of the Governance for Development in Africa initiative funded by the Moore Ibrahim Foundation. The initiative aims to enable Africans to improve the quality of governance in their countries by supporting them to develop skills and talents within an expert academic environment. The focus is to study both the legal aspects of governance and the relationship between governance and economic development. Senora Luisa Diogo, the former Prime Minister of Mozambique and also former Minister of Finance in Mozambique, and for, for SOAS, very importantly, an alumna of SOAS. Uh, Mrs. Diogo did a master's by distance learning in financial economics some years ago through SOAS, and we are very, very proud of that at SOAS. So good morning, Louisa. Uh, thank you for coming in to, for this interview. I wanted to begin by asking you um, to follow up on a lecture that you gave at SOAS on the 24th of November this year, where one of the main things that you discussed was the importance of leadership for governance and development in sub-Saharan Africa. So I wanted to ask you, how does one know good leadership when one sees it? What are the, the important ingredients of effective leadership? Thank you very much. It's a pleasure to be here in SOAS. I think that for Africa, leadership is key because Africa needs people that make difference. When we have institutions that are not yet consolidated, people that are leading the country make difference. Because when it's a country that have institutions, they work normally, the leader, uh, well, it helps, but not so much as in Africa when we don't have institutions and each decision and each direction have to be defined. And a leader, a good leader is that one that's first of all recognized by its own people as a leader. And the recognition comes from work. The work has to be done together. And decisions have to be taken after consultation. So people recognize the leader when the leader consults them they feel they are with someone, they give their opinion, and the decision is taken, and the leader commands the process, uh, helping the people to achieve one common objective. And in Africa, that's very important, because Africa is in the process of transformation. It's a continent where we see resources, and we see youth developing, and uh, we are going to have more and more people some uh, 15 years from now, Africa is going to be one of the fastest growing population continent. So we need to have leaders that really ensure that the people are going to achieve their objectives. And we recognize that in a way how the leader works with mm. the people. Yeah, no, that's very interesting. And you, you, you mentioned somebody who can help 
pull people together behind one common objective, but at the same time, you have a very clear sense that the, there are many objectives. Part of the, the, the problem for, for African leaders, presumably, is how to prioritize. Is, you know, there, there is a population issue, there is great poverty in some countries, like in the past in your own, there's violent conflict, there's economic development issues. How do leaders get this skill at selecting priorities when there are so many pressing challenges? First of all, the leader has to be in a condition to define what should be the critical issue to transform the country and bring the other people to the same understanding. And uh, people have to feel that they are included in the process. And the process of inclusion is a very complex and difficult process. A country like Mozambique, for example, who have different kind of people, people that are working in the countryside, in agriculture, people that are working in services, people that are working in rural and urban areas, people that are working in civil service uh, area. So it's important for all those people to feel that they are part of the process of development. A country like Mozambique, no doubt that the issue of uh, peace, stability and democracy is one of the first priority. When something seems to be creating problems to peace, to democracy, people react. When something comes like uh, creating problems to the freedom of press or freedom of uh, giving an opinion, people react. Mm. Meaning that we are together on the issue of freedom oppress the issue of vibrant civil society that help to gov- the government to go to the right direction. Sometimes it's painful because they are very tough on evaluating the work that the government does, but it is very, very important. And when people feel that someone is creating problem to the parliament, they react. So this issue of peace and stability and democracy is very important in Mozambique. The other issue is unity. When someone gives a direction that the country can be divided, people react. Mozambique is a country that uh, the strength of the country uh, resides in the way how the country is organized. Because it's a united country with all that synergy and capacity, with the diversification of culture, but altogether we are stronger than when we are divided. The second issue that... uh, the leadership shows that we are in the right direction is education. When we speak about education in Mozambique, there is no doubt that we have the same opinion about the priority on education. It's very important for the country, reduce the literacy, create conditions for the people to have access to information, to make it the best option for their life, to make the simple calculation of how to do their own life. We are speaking about the peasants, uh, people that are in the informal sector, women and the youth. When we define the priorities together, we feel that uh, we can achieve better results because the leadership is clear and the people know what's the right direction to follow. We need to have good governance, meaning everything that's related to the way how the government works with the people. Mm. The issue of police, judiciary, decentralization, local community, local authority, local leadership. So everything has to be done in a way that uh, we, we feel that there is no 
big difference. So it's this balance between having a clear direction on the one hand and also on the other hand, listening, making everybody involved Absolutely. in some way. People should not feel excluded because when they are excluded, they feel that they have nothing to lose. Exactly. Yeah. And presumably one of the difficulties has to do with one of the, the successes in a way in Mozambique. I mean, you, you yourself uh, have a lot to do with this extraordinary achievement of uh, mobilizing large amounts of foreign assistance and aid to support the process of changing from war to peace and post-conflict reconstruction and supporting political and economic reforms. And that's a wonderful achievement, but presumably that also comes with some difficulties itself yeah. for, for, for how a country is governed. And, and, and would you tell me a little bit about some of the, the, yes. the problems that come with that? Yes. Sometimes people ask us, oh, what is the secret of success in Mozambique? I think uh, a part of the leadership that's key, that brings ownership to the country about the programs, we have the issue of cooperation, international cooperation. Mozambique is a country that has potential, but this potential is not fully utilized. We still need support from the international community. The budget in Mozambique is 50% financed by the international community. And for the reconstruction of the country after the peace agreement, we needed to mobilize the international community to support us. So challenges come from that mobilization. First of all, clarity about the program. We had to discuss with our own constituency and discuss with the international community. Because to bring solidarity from the international community, you need to show them what is the program that you want to do and what is the, the objective of this program. So they can take that idea and go to their own constituency. Mm -hmm. You need to understand, so we had to understand in Mozambique as leaders, that those people from the international community, they've also their own parliaments and have to go to the parliament and say, we need this money for Mozambique. And the Mozambicans are doing this and that and that. And those parliaments have to be in agreement, saying, seems that it's a good idea. So they don't need to define your own program. But the program is to be coherent in a way that shows that we'll resolve the problem of the people. And that was not easy. Mm -hmm. The second issue is accountability to your own people and to the international community. Because to, if you are not accountable, they will not be in condition to defend you in their own constituency. But is there sometimes a, a problem that it, it, it can seem for, for leadership within an African country, as if the pressure is to be more accountable to the outsiders, to the, to the donors, than to the domestic population. Do you think that sometimes can, can happen? Yes, depends on the way how the aid is done. If the aid is effective, if it is a budget support, you have the possibility of having, first of all, to go to your constituency because the people will see the project of the Mozambique government. If there is a school that is built, they see the flag of Mozambique because it's budget support. But when it's a project support, you see the flag of that country and people seem to be more accountable to that country before they are accountable to their own parliament. If it's a project done by one NGO, it's another problem. If they don't recognize the national country, the national government, and they don't recognize the other government also from <laughs> that international partner, 
but they do recognize the name of the NGO. And sometimes they don't know if it's an NGO from uh, uh, Sweden, the NGO from uh, Denmark. They just recognize the name of the NGO. So what's important is that when we do programs and projects with finance of the international community, we need to say, first of all, we define this project. And we have the support of the international community and explain to our own constituency that it's our project. We have the support because we are performing well, because we have a government that's credible. Mm. Otherwise, no support will come. So in a way, you're suggesting that the governance of foreign aid and foreign cooperation has improved because of this shift towards budget support and program aid rather than only lots of separate little projects. But there are, I think, sometimes still some challenges, difficulties within that relationship because of the resources that, that, that African leaders have to devote to managing that relationship, the meetings, the, the reports, the accountability. Does that cause a trouble in a country where there, are, there is still perhaps a shortage of, of skilled, uh, uh, skilled labor and technocrats and so on? Mozambique have uh, very interesting cases where we had... Uh, different stages of uh, cooperation with the international community. We had a phase where we had the war mm -hmm. and uh, with the emergency situation, where we had all those NGOs, around 400 NGOs were working in Mozambique, mm -hmm. defining projects and programs, doing schools, water source, uh, and educational institutions, and health posts, and so on, and no accountability to us. When they finished their work, they just left, no one would know who's going to continue with the work of school. No accountability to the communities. So that was the initial phase from uh, 1985, 86 to 1992. After that, after the peace agreement, we organized a reconstruction plan. And it was so interesting because uh, we had a big book with the 5,000 projects. And we felt so proud of that list of projects because for the first time we managed to bring all the stakeholders in one conference room and have one week meeting and discuss about our program, our objectives and so on. At least we create a common understanding about the need of coordination, no overlapping and strategic thinking. The third phase were the phase where we had to define priorities and it was very difficult. We had to discuss with community, our communities, define what was uh, the priority and go to the international community and discuss with them. Try to adjust the other programs that are not in the priorities of that time. They were saying, well, but it's necessary. We said, yes, it is necessary. But the needs of this country are so immense. If we don't define priority, it will be very difficult to make changes and transform the country. And after that, we had the project approach and the sector-wide approach. That was from 1996 to 2001. Though that period of time, we had an approach that was saying we have water sector. Who are the international partners that would like to work in water sector? Organize the working group of water. And we had the health sector. And we had international panel working in health sector. And we had the, the, the group working there with one donor leading the international partners and the government from the other side working together. So we start aligning. It was a process of alignment with the government priorities. And we're reducing everything related, related to processes 
and increase the time for analytical work and result of an impact of our work. So for from that, more. when we had budget support, mm. we reduced the number of audit uh, missions, right. the number of uh, procurement missions, the number of meetings with international partners. We had the Minister of Agriculture, we used to call Minister of Agriculture, the Minister of Projects, because we were spending <laughs> every day three, four, five meetings with international partners. Now we have all together, we have two missions per year of revision. We call a uh, donor review meeting. We have one in the first part of the year and the other one in the second part of the year to prepare the budget, discuss the budget with them, the economic plan for the following year. And the other one of the end of the year, analyzing the results of the previous year. Look to the indicators, the impacts, instead of looking to the processes. So uh, that brings more capacity because we had to reform our state administration, finance administration system. We worked together to strengthen this system. We had we did very good reform in finance and reforms also in banking sector. The central bank had the opportunity to receive the money and give to the state mm -hmm. for the mm -hmm. for the public uh, expenditures. So capacity building came from that process. Instead of small projects and each project with technical assistance and uh, all those units in each ministry. We had ministries with five, six, seven units. Units from the old bank, units from uh, different international donors. So that. now you remember I that. Remember so Mozambique passed from through all this process mm -hmm. and you are right. It was uh, very important but uh, the, we had difficult times in 19s and in the 2000, it's yeah. a lot now it's more coherent, more yeah. simple, and more demanding in terms of results. Right. It's more result-oriented right. than process-oriented. Right. Yeah, that's very good. That progression towards greater efficiency in the relationship. But we all know, if I can ask you a couple of specific questions, that there have been some very difficult moments, and 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 one of them that's quite famous internationally is the whole story of the the cashew nut sector, and this was the the subject of a important con aid conditionality from outside, but inside there were different views, different constituencies and interests. This is a country which once was the biggest producer of cashew nuts in the world. Many people would see the reforms that were in a way encouraged from outside quite strongly as disastrous. Have there been lessons learned from that experience within Mozambique or, or by, the, by the donors themselves? In Mozambique uh, have a success to report, but we had some setbacks. One of them was the cashew issue. And it was interesting because it was just a small line in a document of more than 100 pages. We had only less than a paragraph saying cashew seems to be a sector where we need to make privatizations. That was a line coming out from an economic document made by World Bank. So what the people did from the old bank was to go to that line and say, let's privatize the, the cashew industry. And uh, that line went to the conditionalities of $150 million. And Mozambique needed badly mm. that money for balance of payment. No so no choice. We tried to renegotiate. It was impossible. We explained that it was not the right time. 
privatization was important because the government was not interested on doing cashew industry by not allowing the export of raw material. But the requirement from the bank was not released. So what we did was sign a degree saying that from now on, the cashew raw material can be exported. So the raw material started to be exported and the industry failed because we had no raw material for the industry. We had the second tentative problem on sugar. But we learned from cashew and we did everything to save sugar. And sugar industry is an example of uh, listening from the Bretton Woods institutions. For the first time, we said, this is not the right direction. And they agreed. It was difficult to do it. Because uh, we had a visit from the managing director, Mr. Collin, mm. to Mozambique. And he helped a lot. I was Minister of Planning and Finance at that time. And I told him, we have problems with sugar. Very similar to the problem of cashew. We said, we need sugar industry to be recovered in Mozambique. Mozambique used to have around 100,000 tons of sugar per year. And now Mozambique starting with around three to 4,000 tons sugar per year. So our idea is to start recovering and try to achieve figures that are acceptable for the capacity and the potential that Mozambique has. Mm-hmm. He said, what do you need? We said, we need to have a protection for infant industry. He said, temporary protection. I said, yes, temporary protection is not forever. It's a protection of five to ten years. After long discussions, uh, we agreed to have that. And he went to Washington. He told the missions, please leave Mozambique alone on that issue of sugar. I felt that the authorities are very clear about what they want to do. I discussed with the Minister of Planning Finance, and she knows exactly what she wants. So leave them, they will do, and we'll try to monitor. So the key is where there is the leadership, they listen. And Mozambique does not always have to follow the rules of the game. It can sometimes set the rules of the game. We need to set sometimes, and we need to set in the right way. So we did that for five years, and now Mozambique is producing more than 250,000 tons per year. Have those lessons been adapted more recently um, for another challenge that faces Mozambique, but also other countries like Zambia and elsewhere, which is the tax and royalty deals with big, big foreign project investors and dam builders and so on? Is that being applied now as well? Well, Mozambique has a very interesting experience on big projects. We started big projects in 1996 with Mozal a project of $1 billion, $1.5 billion, first phase. And now it's $2 billion, including the second phase of aluminum smelter. And uh, we had to give exemptions, tax holidays, because uh, it was the first big project coming to Mozambique. Hugely important. It's transformed your foreign exchange journey. Yes, and our idea was to show that it's possible to put $2 billion in Mozambique. And it worked. It worked. It did work because we received more big projects for the country that have a multiplied effect and they can really uh, help the country to have more and more small and medium-sized 
projects coming from the big project. And it shows to the international community that's a country that uh, builds a confidence for to the international for foreign direct investment. So the tax exemptions, in a way, were a, were a gamble. They were. Uh... It, it, it was a strategy. Yeah. But now we told them, if uh, you need a third phase that's waiting for the electricity to come, uh, we need to discuss about tax holidays. My opinion is that a country that comes from a, a conflict situation, after the, the peace agreement, you have different phases. The first phase, we don't have infrastructures, no roads, no bridges, no roadways. Everything is destroyed, airports, ports, and so on. So in order to attract foreign direct investment, you need to use one instrument. It's the instrument of taxation. After you start the reconstruction and you are in the middle of the way, you can start rationalizing. We say rationalizing the tax holidays and so on and try to adjust in a more economic manner by attracting them, by using other instruments like training, viable skilled people, business environment, legal framework, things like that, because the country had the opportunity to do, to prepare, to organize for that. And after a certain period of time, instead of rationalizing only, you start increasing taxation. So to bring more and more money to the budget. We did that for mineral resources. And we are doing that for oil, because Mozambique fortunately start to have signals that oil can come. And um, we had a very interesting story on oil also because we, we had to make an analysis of two kinds of countries. One that had oil and failed in terms of yeah. uh, wealth yeah. and that one that, yeah. that had oil and succeeded. Mm. So we went to Norway okay. as one of the examples. Yeah, yeah. And we analyzed, we discussed with them, we had support in order to organize ourselves in terms of uh, agreements, contracts and so on by using better the resources. So the concept failed. We we saw the example I can't mention. Now. Let's not mention so, it. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, so the the system of um, taxation in Mozambique is being transformed in accordance with other incentives, and one of the major incentives has two faces. One is infrastructures that the private sector is always asking for. Is there a good infrastructure? Yes. Yeah. And second is legal framework. Right. The environment, what we call the environment for private sector to flourish. But for me also, there is a third one that's very important. It's civil servant uh, business mindset. People that are in the state apparatus, when they meet a businessman or woman, instead of saying no, 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 they have to analyze and see what they can do to help that project that's important for the country to be invested. Louisa, the last thing I want to ask you is really related to just what you've been talking about, about mindsets and, and, and legal frameworks and infrastructure. The reason you're here in London, uh, we're very pleased to say, is that you're here to collect, uh, to be awarded an, an honorary degree, an honorary doctorate in, in economics from the University of London. And we congratulate you on that. And as I said earlier, you are an alumna of, of SOAS, uh, having studied a, a master's in financial economics. I wondered if you wanted to say a little bit about the role of higher education in 
these changes in governance and these challenges of, of policy reform and development? Um, high education, it is key for a country. It is key because we have the critical mass there, the critical mass for transformation. The innovative thinking is there. And um, Mozambique is one of the examples of uh, challenging the minds of the people by doing higher education massively. Mozambique used to have uh, two people, just two individuals, that were trained in the university at the independence in 1975. After that period of time, we had war, destructive war, and so on. By 1994, we had around 4,000 people in the university each year studying in, in, in the university. Now we have uh, more universities in the country, and we have 86,000 people studying in the university. But this brings challenges to the country. How to use this critical mass in the best manner? how to use these people for the benefit of the country, for their own benefit as people and to the benefit of their families, communities, and the country. And the challenge is to put them in all the territory of Mozambique. They are the ones that should go there and transform the country. They should not be only in the capital city. So you need the, the incentives for them to work in the countryside, in the provinces? So this, this is what we are doing now, to bring them to the countryside, to work with the people, to transform that potential of wealth that we have in Mozambique and use it for the benefit of the country. And uh, this program is being developed. For that to succeed, one of the issues is the issue of relevance. So the education, higher education, have to be done in a way that's relevant to the country. It can be used for the person, for the people that are looking for someone that have this uh, education. And also the second issue is that the person has to be prepared to face the challenges of life, has to be prepared to employ himself, to employ the others, and to transform his environment surrounding him. And he has to be prepared to put the country competing in a globalized world that we have now, using the potential that Mozambique has in the region, in Sadek region, where we have cases like Mauritius and so on. They don't have the resources that Mozambique has, but they are succeeding in private investment and so on. So those are the challenges that we have to face. Well, as you know, we will be, uh, so as together with the Mo Ibrahim Foundation, we'll be, and with the IESE in Mozambique, we'll be organizing a, a residential school on governance and development in Maputo in April 2011. And we hope to, to see you again there and to take up some of these debates and issues and discuss them then. It will be a pleasure. Thank you so much for coming in.